While you're turning to Romans chapter 1, as we launch off in our journey here, our time in the court of heaven, in God's court, it's now in session. The Lord, as He will now reveal the desperate situation of mankind, and while you're turning there, I want to also remind you, you might want to take a wander around the sanctuary, the outside hallway. Um, the, all of the staff swapped out all the photos today, so the ones that were up there were kind of stock photos. Most of them were not actually us, but the ones that are up are now all of the mission strips from this church. So you can go kind of take a little journey around the world as you go around the sanctuary. It's really, really awesome to see. So check those things out. I want to also remind you that Sunday night we'll be assembling our backpacks, so we got all the goodies in, hundreds of backpacks and pens and pencils and all those kind of things that are going to go in them, so Sunday night we'll be having a little packing party after service, so join us for that. But as, a, as the Lord unfolds this situation now, that's this courtroom, because here's, here's the thing that you need to remember. Grace is always supreme. Throughout Scripture, God's grace becomes the preeminent focus, His unmerited favor on us as humankind, mankind. But in order for us to understand and desire the grace of God, we have to understand that there's a problem with who we are as human beings, functionally, intellectually. And you can surely see that in the world as we live in it today. And it has been the case since the beginning of time. And so the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 18, opens up his courtroom. Because he's going to now move to convince us of our desperate need for that marvelous grace. He's already reminded us of who he is. If you're with us as we study Colossians on Sunday morning, Uh, These messages are really linked together. And because Scripture is this continuous story uh, of God's redemptive power, uh, we find this wonderful picture now uh, that is both discouraging if you don't know the Lord and encouraging if you do know the Lord. So if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, here's the good news. It's as simple as inviting a man. And so before we turn our attention now to verse 18, would you pray with me as we ask God's approval on our courtroom setting tonight. Father, we have again drawn near in this place to just hear your voice. And Lord, to have your word uh, do what you have said it will do. It goes forth to purpose to accomplish that for which you've sent it. And so we ask you to be the interpreter of your word the illuminator of your word, and would your word now speak into our lives deep truths, God, that we might be able to walk about this earth and see your creation and see your hand as you intended. And so, Lord, we bless you, we praise you, and we ask all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Verse 18, and here comes the bad news. Now, remember that in a courtroom... The judge always has the charges read before he gets to any of the deliberation. Before there's anything that comes about a solution, the charges have to be made known. Notice verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so the charge is this. God's wrath... That would be the death penalty because the wages of sin is death. Amen? We're going to actually get to that verse here fairly shortly. The wages of sin is death. There is a death penalty announced on mankind originally because Adam and Eve sinned. We have all, because of that, inherited that sin nature. And the penalty of walking in sin in rebellion against God is death. And so he says, here's the charge against all mankind. God will one day pour out his wrath. Now he has no desire to do that in anyone's life. And so he offers a solution. And so make sure before we move on, the good news of the grace of God 
is, is what lies ahead of this. But he's going to announce the charge. And, and he says, look, God's wrath will be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Whatever flavor of it there is. And we're going to get to that next week. And so he says, look, that's, that's the penalty. That's what you're up against. Here's the basic charge. And now he tells us why. You see, for there to be a law that's enacted, and for you to not know that that is a law, should, in essence, cause you to be able to escape the judgment. You see this in a personal way when you establish rules in your home with your children. If you lay down the law that there's a curfew at 10 o'clock, you tell your children you need to be home by 10. If you're not home at 10, then you're going to lose your cell phone for a year, and they go, (gasps) You have informed them that here's the condition. This is my home. This is God's earth. This is my home. And here's the rules of my home. And here's what's going to happen if you break that rule. And so God now begins to say, Look, you knew that this was true. I'm going to identify for you that I'm not making a, uh, a false claim here, and I'm going to give you the authority by which I speak these things. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. And in this case, the them is you and I. All of mankind, human beings, In other words, because of what may be known of God is manifest inside of us. Innate within every human being is the capacity to understand right and wrong, good and evil. There is a concept universally known throughout the world that that we would call worship. That man inherently is geared towards worshiping someone or something. For God has shown it to them. In other words, he's not divested himself of his creation. He didn't back away from what he created and say, well, it's up to you guys now. God's active and he's present in our world. And within us, we have an understanding that we did not create all of this ourselves. For since, verse 20 now says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. The things that God does, being outside of space and outside of time, are clearly visible to us. And now he tells us how. Being understood by the things that are made. In other words, when mankind looks at the world and sees the world as it is, There within us is an understanding of right, wrong, good, evil, a desire to worship something, and the understanding that probably all this stuff didn't happen by chance. And then he says, even his eternal power and Godhead. Now when we look at the creation, We're supposed to marvel that this cannot build itself. That there is an active force in the universe that is working to make these things come to pass. You see, mankind did not start out godless. Mankind has become godless and becomes more godless day by day. And we're going to find out why. Here it comes. We're actually without excuse, it says, so that we're without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. But they became futile, and notice they became futile. They knew who God was. There was a very clear understanding from the things that they could see, that the world that we're in testifies of the fact it's impossible for it to happen by random chance processes. There should be an understanding in one's own mind, deep within one's soul, that what we see testifies that there is a God. They became futile in their thoughts. They became philosophical. They began to philosophize. 
everything became debatable. What we see was no longer a matter of fact and figure. It, it did not point one direction because the inescapable conclusion, if you actually study the world around you, is there is a God. But if you start with the premise there is not a God, then all of a sudden you look for other reasons for the universe to exist. Sound familiar? They became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And notice what comes next. Pre professing to be wise. Now I want to be very careful here. There are millions of insanely brilliant people on this planet who do not believe in God. There are also millions of insanely brilliant people on this earth who do believe in God and believe that this world did not create itself. And so I am not in any way, shape, or form tonight trying to mock anyone. I am simply going to take apart this passage in a way that helps you unclog your brain because we have been force-fed Darwinian evolution. We have been force-fed that the universe is billions of years old. We have been force-fed through our educational system that there is no creator. We have been force-fed a lie. And you need to open up your minds and with some basic understanding about high school, mid-level high school biology, you should come to the conclusion there's no way on this earth that this universe created itself. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. In other words, the universe became man-centric. It's about us. And they began to worship birds. Hmm. How many religious systems worship eagles, falcons, phoenixes? Isn't it interesting? Because you can think back through your mythology how many things are half bird and half, ooh, that's right, four-footed beast. And creeping things. Oh, how about Ascalepus? That symbol that if you're a doctor in here, you have that on your little card there. The healer snake. You see, man became so smart, he became stupid. Because he began to look past the things that should be your initial stopping point and go, wait a second, you can't move on until you solve problem one. Because if you can't solve problem one, then everything else that you say from that point is speculation on your part. Amen? If we set out to solve anything, an engineering problem, a chemical problem, if we set out to solve any type of scientific endeavor, we must start with truth. Amen? And so as you begin with truth, if you proceed from truth, you should get additional truth. But if you start with a lie, then what you're going to get afterwards will also, by logic, follow as not truth. Can I say to you that the basic premise upon which most people have constructed their worldview, if they're not believers, is built on a lie? And I hopefully will be able to show you that tonight. And so the Lord says, hear ye, hear ye. All rise in the court of God. And he begins to present the case. This theme in this book will be the righteousness of God. And there's a penalty for not wanting what God wants for your life. You, you can either have the grace of God or you get the wrath of God. That's the two choices. So you can have his grace. It's free. It's a gift. He'll give you faith to believe. Or you can take what's going to come if you want to stay in the filthiness of this world and the unrighteousness, which he does not intend for us to walk in. You can stay in the utter ignorance, denying that there's a creator, or you can say, well, maybe we can't explain everything, but let's see, there's a couple of competing worldviews here, which, by the way, both are religious worldviews. 
Anyone that tells you that evolution is a science is not speaking the truth to you. It is a religious worldview because it implies all kinds of things that neither can be tested, nor can they be verified, nor can they be repeated. That's the standard scientific model, by the way. So if someone comes to you and says, I I can prove to you something, then they must be able to observe it, they must be able to repeat it, they must be able to verify it. You can't verify something that you weren't here to see and that there's no remnant of. And so the theory of Darwinian evolution is exactly that. It is a guess. And it starts with a presupposition. There is no God. The theory of creation starts with a presupposition. There is a God. So both are, in essence, religion. They're a way to explain what may have happened in the past. We believe that there's an all-knowing creator God who's all-powerful. The scientist believes that nothing somehow became something, organized itself, exploded, and got more ordered. You don't have a choice. And I don't, I'm not attempting to mock here. I'm attempting to keep it simple because this is where our kids are being tripped up. We'll just skip all that. We don't need an answer to that. We need to go over here. It's kind of like we wave the hand, we pretend this all happened as if somehow doing this gives us proof that it did. And then we move all the way over here and say, well, let's start over here. No, you have to solve the first problem. You can't solve for X until you've solved for A. The first, we find the charges that man is guilty. Look, there's a lot of things about mankind that aren't pleasant. And our condition without God is one of them. Very unpleasant. And so when you begin to unwrap this this spiritual principle... You find that man did not start out as a lower being and become elevated. Man started out high and devolved and became low. That's what we see in our world. Amen? You look at our world today. We we may be more intelligent. We may have more books. We may have more money. We may have taller buildings. But as a society, we are pathetic. We have devolved in that sense. We're not getting better we're, we're getting far more intricate in the way that we disguise our ineptitude. Case in point, the political process. Oh, it's very complicated, and we spend trillions of dollars doing things that if you stop long enough to acknowledge the Lord, you go, man, we shouldn't do it that way. It's not working. And so man, though disadvantaged at times, is not so disadvantaged that we cannot know what God intended. And so we see here man's supposed intelligence first. Human history is not the history of an ape becoming intelligent. It is not that at all. Matter of fact, a vast majority of the supposed fossil evidence that mankind existed for millions of years is not evidence at all. It's a single tooth here and a bone there, all of which can be explained, generally speaking, by small ape species, but have no direct connection whatsoever to humankind. And in fact, the sum and total, the sum and total of the entire evidence of paleontology with regard to human supposed evolution uh, could be stuck in a box about six foot wide, about eight foot long, and four foot high. The total in the entire world. And yet we wander around going, well, you know, here's Ramapithecus, and here's Homo, you know, obviously he turned, he went from Neanderthal to, and to us. That's not what we see in our world. And if, in fact, we had been around for millions of years, where are all the dead bodies? Because you can stick them all in a box. How come we have massive quantities of 
fossil remains of animals, but mankind supposedly has been here for several million years. And can I tell you, when you leave people alone naked, they have a tendency to make more people. (laughs) Just saying. A little PG-13 tonight, but got to speak it like it is. That's what happens, right? They did not have Planned Parenthood during that time either. Where are they? Scouring the earth, all of the fossil evidence of those early hominids will fit in a small box right here. But they're around for millions of years. And here's why that's a problem. Because there are hundreds of millions of fossilized remains of all the animals that existed 500 supposedly million years before the people. So why all the fossil evidence of the animals had no fossil evidence of the people? Especially when we protect the corpses of our people. They just skip past it. Well, you know, we're we're just missing something. Yeah, you're missing millions of dead people. (laughs) Man's actual intelligence. You see, the result of an empty mind is a darkened heart. When you begin to look past the obvious and you start to say, well, this all happened by chance. This is where you go. We're supposed to be able to look at the world around us and it should stimulate our thought processes. Why are those mountains rippled and folded and and why do they look like that? Why does it look like there's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of siltation and, and it got then squished together and then rose up? How could that happen unless, because you all know this, it was laid down by water, right? Your Bible says that there was a giant flood thousands of years ago that affected the face of the entire earth. And if you travel around the earth, guess what you find? Layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of silted material that's piled up very, very thick all over the surface of the earth. And in places it's been thrust up by volcanic activity and other places it's been thrust up by plate tectonics and all over the earth you find exactly the same thing. We find fossils on the tops of mountains. We find fossils on the bottoms of mountains. We find fossilized remains everywhere, except of people, which is kind of strange because that's what your Bible says. That God created the earth, populated it with the animals to sustain life, and then put man on it. Hmm, strange. 1 Corinthians You can read it later, but there in chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. You see, when you put God in the equation, you put God in the mix, and you begin to take into account, you know what, this stuff just doesn't look like it happened that way. There must be some other explanation. And you let your mind go where it should go, which is perhaps there's a creator. All of a sudden you start thinking correctly. And your own sinfulness comes into view. And the exact thing that God intended, which is you go, hey, maybe I'm not uh, alone in the universe. Maybe I have a plan and a purpose. Maybe the God that created me has some claim on my life. You see, man is actually ignorant in that sense. Man refuses in spite of the evidence. And and, and when you think about it, uh, Paul, as he was talking about the the Greeks that he was ministering to in Acts 17, he, he summed it all up. He said, the times of this ignorance. As he's speaking to them, he's looking at these incredibly brilliant, by the world standard, people. And he's saying, look, you're so brilliant, you've gone dumb. You've overthunk it, in that sense. Very scientific phrase. You done be overthunked. 
you see, man has professed to be wise and professes to get wiser and in some ways absolutely is. But he's become so wise that he thinks that we can now factor God out of the equation. And here's the crazy part. Every corner they turn, they find a new problem that cannot be explained by science. Now, if I was a wise God, and I was creating a universe, and I wanted to leave my mark on it, you know what I'd leave in place? Corners that when you turn them, you can't do anything but find me. Hence, whether you're talking about astrophysics, which, by the way, we have Dr. Jason Lyle coming in November to be here with us from ICR. He is an actual astrophysicist, uh, so he'll be here to share with us. But you see, you would leave things in place to where the people that you want to love, it would be inescapable for them. They, they would absolutely find you as they turned those corners. And so what does man do? What's man's response? The history of man's long list of false gods. Having suppressed the truth, remember what it says. Having suppressed the truth in a lie, created to worship, because we do. We're about to start pigskin worship quarter, right? You don't think people are worshiping when they go to the football stadium? Ah! They paint their faces, they, they pay $250 for a jersey of some dude who can't spell cat. That's the best we can do. I'm granted, run fast, jump high, great. Love that, like to watch it. But people go nuts. And they're worshiping at the stadium. There's people right now worshiping over here on Hamilton at this club. They're worshiping sexuality. There's people worshiping in the bars down in Redondo. There are people who are right now worshiping themselves. They're worshiping their bodies. Go to any gym in America. It's pathetic. People my age think that they still look good. <laughs> you know, you're like, you're like, dude, give it up. It's like we're worshiping. It's like, man, I can still I can still bring it. The only thing you can bring is a Geritol, man. <laughs> if you won't worship God, then you will worship something. And guess who number one is? It's you. That's where it starts. Man himself. That's where our logic goes. It's all got to be about me. You, you see what? The Bible says, absolutely confronts this. We were created to worship God. We were made for a purpose. And so innate within us is the desire to worship God. But if you won't do that, you will worship something else. And if you don't think that mankind worships itself, you need to get out more. Because we worship ourselves. We worship money. We worship power. We worship fashion. We worship possessions. We worship physical human appearance. We worship all kinds of things. Connie was sharing with me at this last year's Oscars. I forget who was the top, but I, 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 if I mem my memory serves me correct, you ladies can correct me. But I think one of the ladies, I can't remember whether it was... Charlize Theron or one of, one of them, whoever won the most money spent getting ready for the Oscars, I believe was $14 million. $14 million. So people can go... She hasn't had a zit since high school. She's got people to take care of that. 
we worship ourselves. And people get paid millions of dollars so that we can worship them. Don't believe it? Go to the Golden Globes or the Oscars or the Emmys and watch what people... They are insane. They're crazy. They're worshiping. But here's what happens, and I want to shift gears here for just uh, the remaining time that we have tonight. If you won't believe that there's a God, then you have to believe there's only one other option. That there are natural processes, naturalism, that it can explain what we see. Because God's word says you can look at it and you should be able to tell that there's somebody behind it all. But if you exclude the possibility that there's a God, then it has to be exactly what we have in our world. That there are natural processes that you can look at and say, well, you know, well, this explains it. And they've been trying to do that for a long time, but it was not always so. You have to think back. Charles Darwin lived in the mid-1800s. And so we've only been down this road for 150 years or so. Man used to almost universally believe that there was a creator. All of the great scientists, the early scientists, almost without exception, believed that there was some form of supreme being because they, how could you explain these things? That is exactly what God intended. If you were with us in our study in Colossians, and I don't want to belabor this because you can go online and actually watch that, watch that study in Colossians 1 there, verses 15 and 20, where we covered that is the Lord, in fact, that holds the whole creation together. That that's what he does. He is the one. He's the reason that things exist. He is the, the one that created it. It was created for him, and he is the one at the subatomic level that holds the entire universe together. And there's no explanation for it scientifically. It does not work scientifically. Dr. I will share that with you. When you begin to break down the science, it does not work. They skip over step one, exactly as I said. Well, let's go to step six, because one we can't solve. We'll just, we'll just consider that, you know, that's, that's truth. No, 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 it's not. Let's solve step one. Let's see what the best example is. There's a principle that when you study scientific endeavor, specifically theories, it's known to most people as Occam's razor, but it basically says this, that when you have two competing theories, the one that provides you with the least amount of conflict or is the best possibility must also be the most likely. Keep that in mind as we move forward. The one that provides the least amount of conflict, the least amount of information that you have to deal with and fudge and squeeze into the equation. So let's be intellectually honest. Naturalism, Darwinian evolution, things that we've all heard parts of. At the end of the day, it's a mindless process. It's built on selfish advantage. Remember, that's what survival of the fittest is. And let me explain it to you. In human sense, we should not be here because humankind should be killing each other off and I take your stuff because that'd be best for me, right? If there's no God and I don't have anything within me that says it's wrong or it's right, it's all relative, then what I would say is it's all good for me, so I'm just going to kill you and take your stuff. And that's actually how evolution would work at that level. The survival of the fittest means the strongest. The one that's most likely to survive would beat up on the lower life forms and take whatever they have. So we should all be carnivores. We should be roaming around the earth in a really desperate state. It means that evil would have had to prevail for billions of years. Death, dying, destruction. The raw brutality of that. Man, if you're an animal lover, you should hate evolution. Because billions of years of people and animals and trees just all for nothing. Just a mindless process where they all died. You see, I don't think that's what happened. And I don't think my Bible says so either. And I don't believe 
that science says so. I believe the scientific evidence is very clear. You see, Paul will write in Colossians 2 this, verses 8 and 10. See that no one takes you captive. See that no one takes you captive. That's an important word. Through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, the natural laws. Rather than according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you've been made complete. For he is the head and the rule over all authority. So God actually gives us some tidbits and pieces. He doesn't explain to us everything. People often say, well, you know, the Bible's not a science manual. Of course it's not a science manual. It wasn't intended to be. It was intended to be a window through which when you looked, you could understand the science that you actually see. And so when you engage in science, you go, hmm, kind of leads me to believe that this isn't an accident. That it's a guided process. It's very ordered. And in fact, the universe is so finely tuned that when you look at galaxies and star systems and star clusters and star factories, as astrophysicists will tell you, are out there. The great nebula, when you look at them, their gravity alone should cause them to destroy each other. Because they're massive. There are hundreds of billions of galaxies, each with hundreds of billions of stars. And yet they don't crash into each other. And yet they should have massive gravitational attraction. Kind of sounds like there's somebody holding it all together. Could be wrong, just saying. You, you see, when you think through these things, ultimately, you, you, you come to the conclusion, and it's, print, it's, it's presented to us in, in John's Gospel as well. They're in John's Gospel in chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, now it's interesting, that word, word logos, is the sum and the total of all that can be known. So if Jesus is the sum and the total of all that can be known forever, past, present, future, and the logos became flesh and dwelt among us, that means that the one who has the design manual for the entire universe walked among us. Can you imagine having a conversation about the stars with Jesus? Yeah, I flung that one out there a few years ago. <laughs> and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And no one has seen God at any time, only begotten of the Son, of the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. And He has explained to Him. He says, "Look, this is who He is. Everything you need to know, Jesus knows. Everything, all those questions, He'll have the answers." So, as we put on our brainiac hats for a few minutes, in Genesis one one, we have a key to this: the very first verse of your Bible. For in the beginning, God. In the beginning, indicating that there was a beginning, that outside of that time itself did not exist, that there was a beginning. And in the beginning, time. Created. And the word that's used there means from nothing. Didn't make something. He didn't take what was already there and fashion it. He created from things that were not there. The heavens, space, and the earth, matter. If you know anything about the universe that you walk around in, it's made out of three things. Time, matter, and space. So in the very first verse of your Bible, God tells you that outside of that, He created from nothing everything that is. Time, space, and matter. Ask a scientist sometime what the universe is made out of. He'll tell you time, space, and matter. And by the way, that's a triunity exactly like the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son, 
and God is a triune God. And so even in the creation of the universe itself, we see God giving us some hints about who he is. He's a triune God, created a triune universe. And here's the crazy thing. None of those things exist without each other. You can't create one and then create the other because you cannot create matter because in matter, all those atoms, all those electrons, it needs energy in order for it to function. So you can't have those two things without each other. And the only way that you can identify them is they must exist in time. That's the only way that you can even see them. So God being outside of that would have had to create it because you have to be the laws of causality. In other words, anything that is made, it must be made by something larger than itself. That's a basic function of the physical universe. So the cause has to be greater than what's created. If God's outside of it and he can do something with nothing, then he can create time and space and matter. Your Bible says that's exactly what he did. Now, we're not told all about the subatomic particles. He doesn't sit around and explain quantum physics to us and quantum mechanics. He just simply says, before there was time, I was there, and I created time and space and matter. And oh, by the way, the Elohim that's there, El is singular, Eloah is two, and Elohim is two or more. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. all time, all space, all matter, because when you look at the laws of conservation of of mass and energy and all those kinds of things, you you begin to understand that, you know, you can't create matter. It's already here. In our physical universe, matter can neither be destroyed nor created. Time cannot be destroyed or created in our physical universe. And so God says, look, in the beginning, I created all of the time that there is and all of the matter that there is and all of the space that there is and I stuck the universe in it. You see, this is what cosmology actually is. It's a study. It's the it's science of the origin, development of the universe. And so when you think about it, God actually kind of explained to you what he did. He says, look, I did that. Astronomers are building larger and larger radio telescopes. We're looking further and further out into space. We're going, hey, you know, I think we can see a planet. There's an exoplanet out there. It might have life on it. God said, look, I I made the universe. I know it's out there. I'm pretty sure he would have told us if E.T. was going to phone home. (laughs) So apart from biblical creationism, which absolutely starts with the creation of, from outside, exactly what we see. Modern evolutionism does not tell us that. It begins with the Big Bang. The theory of cosmology of the Big Bang starts, in essence, with something, and it does not explain how that something got there. Now, if you know anything about anything, you know that nothing plus nothing equals nothing, right? So if you have nothing and nothing happens to it, what are you going to get? Nothing. But that's not what the Big Bang says. It starts with a singularity. All of the mass in the entire universe gathered into a very small ball in the distant past that exploded, and from that, every bit of order that you see in the entire universe was put into play. 13.7 billion years ago. That's a lot of faith. (laughs) Even pagan pantheism begins with elementary matter and it evolves into different forms. And it's usually made in man's image in a complex system of gods and goddesses and forces of nature acting on things. Even pagan pantheism at least starts with something and admits that they don't have an answer for the nothing which requires more faith. That there was a beginning or that there wasn't a beginning. You you see, when you look at the universe, the law of causality that I already mentioned is is you can't have something that's created and something has to, by then nature, by the raw power that is within what is created, it must be larger than what's created. 
The second laws, which you all know, you've heard of, are the laws of thermodynamics. And there are basically two of them. And that says that you cannot create anything now, nor can you actually destroy anything. In other words, you can simply take matter and transform it into some other form. You can break up atoms, but when they explode, you still have all the electrons, you still have all the neutrons and all the protons. They're just in a different form. It can't be destroyed. But the second law of thermodynamics is the important one. And you can prove this, by the way. Park your car in your driveway, leave it there for about a thousand years, and find out if it looks better when you come back. The, law, the second law is the law of entropy, that all things tend towards decay. So if the laws working in our universe say that something must be greater than what is created, and that you can't actually create something from nothing... That's the first law of thermodynamics. You, have, you can make it from what's already here. And that everything in the universe doesn't get better. It actually gets worse. It tends towards decay, disorder, and ultimately chaos. How does that make a singularity that explodes turned into something that's more complex and more ordered and getting bigger? You see, they skip over that part. And there still to this day is no explanation for it. It's all kinds of theories. But nobody has an answer for that. And so what did God say in our passage? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and his Godhead. So what do we see? Let's take one example, the Cambrian explosion. Supposedly, 451 to about 485 million years ago. I want to use the dates that everybody else uses. And in that time period, every single phylum, except for one, every type of life that exists on the earth, mysteriously came into existence at exactly the same time. No intermediaries, no transitional fossils, no, you know, half horse, half bird things. By the way, if you still believe in Archaeopteryx, you need to read more because they now know that that was a bird and it had real feathers. It wasn't half lizard and half bird, it was just a bird. It was an ugly bird. All of them came into existence at exactly the same time, except for one. Now, if you go back to your high school biology class, you have kingdoms. That's plants and animals, right? Then underneath that, you have phyla. That's things like the mollusks, which are clams and oysters, annelids, which are things like earthworms. I'll give you a little biology here. Arthropods, that would be spiders, millipedes, shrimp, things like that. And then, of course, chordata, which is anything that's got a skeleton. If I remember my evolutionary theory correctly, supposedly we came from blue-green algae and all those things were supposed to progress and you got to like lizards and then birds and then finally you got to things like cows and fish and ducks. And yet we find in the fossil record that every single phylum mysteriously burst onto the scene. So this has evolutionists in a tizzy and still has had for about 30 years now. And so they've had to speed up evolution. Now for evolution to work, it takes billions of years, right? That's the way it works. Because it works by minute changes in DNA. Why is this weird? Because these animals that they've now said, well, these must have existed are all the only ones of their kind, and there's no fossil record of them. How convenient. You make up names of animals that you can't find any examples of, and then you say they're the only kind of their kind. Kind of start sounding like faith to you? As I said, it's a religion. Strange list. I just say to myself, well, that's kind of weird. 
That's a little strange. Not sure that works for me. And the reason being is it sounds like a farce. That's because I believe it is a farce. I think when we all get to heaven, we're going to absolutely know that it was a farce. Perpetrated on humanity to do one thing. To get people to believe that God's unnecessary. That somehow this can all happen by itself. There's so many problems with it. When you look at the, this explosion of life that came about, what you find is every single one of those phylum still exists in the world today. 500 and supposed 40 million years later, every last one of them has examples. And so they're kind of really lousy evolvers. They don't evolve well at all. And in fact, they were so good then that they're still here today. I thought that that's how that worked, is that things that were became something that wasn't so they could be something they aren't. Now, if that's confusing to you, it was meant to be confusing. Because that's exactly what the theory states. Something that wasn't became something that isn't and now becomes something that it should be. It's the circular reasoning. It's like we have rock layers over here and whatever mollusk is in that, that's how old the rock is. And then you date the rock by the mollusk and then the mollusk by the rock. Now, if you do this in a science experiment in a classroom, you're going to get an F. (laughs) We have huge problems with these things. You know anything about chemicals, they do not order themselves. All the complex molecules of which our DNA is a massively complex molecule. It it contains over 100,000 proteins. Those 100,000 proteins from all the experiments, you probably were told about the lightning striking a pond of goo someplace and somehow blue green algae turned to dust. You'd have to do that over 100,000 times just to create a single DNA strand, which still wouldn't give you you. Now, here's what happened. That Miller-Urey experiment, which is the one that's referenced, happened in 1953, and they kept using highly charged, basically, lightning bolts on a, on a pond. And as they did that, what they came up with was formaldehyde and ammonia. And if you know anything about formaldehyde and ammonia, it kind of kills most biologic life forms. That was the most common chemical that came out of that experiment. And yet, well, it somehow turned into proteins. It turned into amino acids and then into proteins and then into DNA. You see, the the things that we see don't tell us that this happened by accident. You look at it and you go, man, that must be God. That's got to be a designer. Your own DNA. If you know anything about birth defects... Where do they come from? Genetic mutation. So if you have somebody in your family who's got Down syndrome, that's a genetic mutation. It's a very specific genetic mutation. Cleft palate, a specific genetic mutation. So genetic mutation is supposed to explain the massive diversity of life that sprung onto the scene some 541 million years ago. And yet, for the most part, it either damages or kills anything that has a genetic mutation unless it's extremely minute and it happens over very long periods of time. So when you condense down that Cambrian period to less than 10 million years because they can't figure out how all of those life forms made it into all of those stratas of rock, here's what happens. You lose the time necessary for all the genetic mutations. Which one is it? Lots of time or lots of very rapid genetic mutations which should kill everything. It's circular reasoning. So many things we could spend all night and I don't want to do that because you're all about ready to fall asleep from all the (laughs) info. Science is wonderful. And here's, here's why I say this. Because it helps us understand The deeper we look, the more we find the evidence of a creator. The more we go, 
what can be known about him is known in the things that are made. And you sit there and you go, wow, there's a God. You don't go, gee, you know, a whole bunch of miscellaneous chemicals hung around in outer space for billions of years and floated next to each other, and they somehow made the eye. (laughs) You see how silly it is when you actually think about it? And anyone tells you that they have an explanation for those, they don't. Right-thinking evolution is what we don't really know. I don't know exactly how God created the universe, but I know this. What I see tells me there is a marvelous creator who dwells outside of space and time, who created a continuum that's made out of time, space, and matter, and in it, he said he fashioned, formed everything it is, and he told it to stay in place, and he made everything after its kind. Amen? And just to cap this off, one of the things, I, I love these things. Sorry, you're stuck with me. We have all kinds of living fossils. People don't like to talk about them. You have the Tuatara. It's from the Cretaceous period, and yet you can find them living in New Zealand today. Leprocarus, it's a crustacean. It's only found in fossils in Devonian rocks, and yet we find it living on the seafloor today. The Metasequoia, we have them here. Supposedly died out 20 million years ago, but we've got them in California. And Nepolonia, it's a mollusk. It's actually the index fossil. It's the one when you find that fossil, that's how you absolutely know that that's the Ordovician period. And then there's the best one of all, the tribalite. The tribalite is the index fossil of the Cambrian period. They're alive today in the Indian Ocean. So what is it? Is the tribalite the index fossil that wherever you find it, and here's how this works. Everybody thinks, well, you can date the rock. You cannot date the rock. You can only date the genetic material that stores carbon in the rock. You can date the fossils. And so when you find a tribalite, the mighty little tribalite, that's supposed to be 541 to 480 million years old. Unless you happen to be in the Indian Ocean, then it could be last week. (laughs) So you see all this stuff of trying to tell you, well, we know that evolution happened. No, they do not know that evolution happened. They want to believe it happened because the only alternative is there's a God, a creator outside of space and time who loves you and offers his grace as a way to escape his wrath. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand and let's pray. Ran a little bit long. Worship team's going to come back up. Going to bring some of our pastors forward just to pray. Maybe you're here tonight. and Man, you got fed that lie. I did. I did. I got fed that lie in college. And it took me quite a while to wrap my head around the fact they didn't have all the answers they claimed to have. Maybe that's you and you want to come and just pray with somebody. Maybe, maybe that's stirred you to believe exactly what it was intended to believe, you, for you to be intended to believe, and that is there's a creator and he loves you. We'd love to pray with you. And so as the pastors come forward and as we finish the night in worship, Let's pray. Just ask God to move in this place. Father, I pray. We pray. Lord, your church prays. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But God, we pray for those that don't know you. They, they bought the lie. And they've thought so much that they've become ignorant of the obvious, which is the only explanation for what we see in our world, in our universe, is a God, is a creator. And Lord, we honor you tonight as the creator of the universe, as the lover of our souls. So crazy to think that the one who made us loves us. Lord, we, your creation, want to love you back all the more. And so bless us, speak to us. We thank you, Lord. 
for leaving your handprints all over your creation so that we could find you. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. God's people all set. Amen and amen.